in one age, called the Third Age by some. An age yet to come. An age long past. A wind rose on the Geek at Arms podcast. The wind was not the beginning. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the Wheel of Time. But it was a beginning. Welcome to Woolheads, a Wheel of Time podcast by Geek at Arms. I'm Brian, and here's a man that I think surely must be Taviran. It's James. The light loom you, Brian. And you as well, James. So we haven't talked about music yet. Uh, the composer is a Lorne Balfa, something like that. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing his name. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't have any strong themes that you know you hum along to, but uh, I found it continually appropriate in enhancing the visuals in the story. And there was at least one point in this episode that there's some uh, traveling music between the scene with Leandrin and Matt, and then when Egwene comes in to meet Elaine for the first time, that I swear I was listening to the Wheel of Time game soundtrack by Andy Frazier. <laughs> that was the old PC game that came out in the late 90s? Uh, yeah, I think it might have been yeah, 98 or something like that. Okay. I never had a PC that's uh, strong enough to play it, so I lived <laughs> vicariously by watching you play it. Right. The, the story wasn't uh, quite uh, adhering to the canon of the books, but it was still a fun, fun game mm-hmm. and great music. I have been finding myself enjoying the music. Nothing so far has been, has stood out, like mm-hmm. has had me humming it later in the day, but neither have I disliked it. So I'm going to put it in the okay, but room for improvement category. Strong supporting cat- character. Yes. Balfa's <laughs> uh, other recent credits include D&D, Honor Among Thieves, Gran Turismo, and latest Mission Impossible. So I did like the music. Pedigree. Yeah, I did like the music from the Honor Among Thieves movie. So let's hear a little bit more of that. <laughs> did you have any other comments on production? I had a couple. If we're going to talk music, do you know what we need? Do you know what we really need if we're going to talk music in the Wheel of Time? What do we really need? More Gleeman. <laughs> Specifically, yeah. a certain specific, a specific Gleeman. Gleeman. Yes. I really thought we were about to see him when Rand was chasing the the other orderly guy through the, the foregate. It's like, ooh, is he going to wind up in a tavern and there's going to be Tom? That would have been the perfect setup for it because it seemed like some sort of festival was going on. Um, mm-hmm. But no, he just gets into a madness and power infused grudge match with a guy he works with. <laughs> uh, production wise, um, just a couple of notes. Uh, it has to do with I, I, I'm still enjoying the weaving. I like that when the yellow or not the not the the accepted was healing the young girl, you could see the yellow weaves of healing uh, yeah. coming out of her hands. I'm like, okay, that's a very minor point. Most people aren't going to realize that that is the color associated with healing, the yellow Aja, the, the Aja of healers, but you included it as you should have nicely done. Please continue. Um, I wonder if that was meant to represent spirit, actually. I think you're probably right. Uh, I want to talk about Perrin's wolf sight for a moment. Uh, yeah, that was strange. That, a, a cool effect, but... Uh, and this kind of goes halfway under production, halfway under bad. I thought it looked cool. I like the change that they've made to his eyes. Mm-hmm. That's. I really liked how his powers worked in the book. I don't really yeah. want to see a change to that. 
I was wondering if maybe that was like his uh, his visions are going to be him peeking into Tel Aaron Riyadh, mm-hmm. like while he's awake instead of always having when he's asleep. I don't I don't know what they're doing I, with that. I think what what I would like to see them do is give it more explanation, and maybe he learns from Elias that the visions you're seeing you're not really seeing anything. Your sense of smell has been heightened to such a degree that the yeah, only see, way that your brain can process it at this moment is by creating the visuals. And that's what I thought they were doing in the first episode when he sees the little girl running away and then Elias says, yes, someone escaped. I was like, oh, he, he's interpreting what he's smelling. That's, yeah. That's great. But this was too detailed and overlaying the the rot and all the flies. I'm like, those would have been yeah, added that, to. <laughs> he, he would have caught sense of that like the second they step w- within the village with yeah. all the flies around. And the fact that he didn't have a response to that lends me to think that, okay, so this isn't a, a a smell-based power. This is something else entirely, and that kind of disappoints me. Yeah. Before we get too deep into the Copland talk, though, I wanted to go back about one thing about scenery, mm-hmm. and that was this uh, Riverside town where they fight the Sean Chan at the end. Mm-hmm. What was the deal with that mill? <laughs> it's like, what's it, pushing it? <laughs> it... Yeah, that's standing water. That's it. What was the mill? Was the, was was it in a pond? It didn't even look like a stream. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it was actually a, a stream or a river. I think it was just a pond. It was hmm. like you put the mill at the place where the stream comes into the pond. Like somebody didn't do the research. No, they think we need we need a generic medieval village number three. Right. Let's build that. And that's also a point of my production talk. I'm like, you're making, you've obviously put the work in to make some cool sen- places and sen- and scenes. Mm-hmm. Let's do a little bit better about making them look realistic, plausible. plausible, that this is a place that people actually live and, and, and die and work. And I did like that. We got to see children playing in the street. I did too. That's something that's, very often overlooked. And I, I've still enjoyed, I'm, I'm half and half on this. We see a lot of color amongst the costumes mm-hmm. at times, but unfortunately it's only amongst background characters. It seems all the hero characters are still wearing dark colors, leather, pleather, studs, oh, metal studs that, everywhere. Uh, green and red that Perrin was wearing was pretty striking, I thought. Perrin was looking pretty fly. I will give you that. But it seems but yeah, like Matt's the, all in yeah. drab. We'll talk about Matt in a moment, though. Um, the only other thing about production is I, I'm loving the look of Loyal. Loyal. <laughs> you could say a lot of things about his nose, about his lips. My thing is in regards to the comfort of the person playing the character. And those mm-hmm. might have just been I don't want him to go through like John Reese Davis went through when he had to put on the prosthetics yeah. for Gimli and he just hated it every single day. What I wanted to see is he needs to be about 20, 30% bigger. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's going to be a limitation of their, uh, their production schedule and their ability to do that. I know. Cause they can't afford to build the sets to do force perspective for him all the time. I can't, I, I, I know. Like, he's supposed to be like hit a uh, parent coming up to like his mid chest. Mm hmm. And, and Perrin's supposed to be a big dude. Yeah. 
Um, I did very much enjoy during the fight scene at the end with the Sion Sean. Uh, there's like six to eight Sion Sean trying to handle him. He's roaring. <laughs> and then as soon as Perrin throws like two of them off, he just cuts loose and he's mm. throwing them with force. I'm like, throws one to a boat and I'm watching like, he's dead. Throws one, two stories up and against to a wall. He's dead. Slams <laughs> one on the ground and he's dead. Yes. The armor doesn't do you much good against blood force trauma like that. Not a single bit. <laughs> uh, well, also the books made points of, I, I once saw an ogier get enraged. I've never been more scared in my life. Mm -hmm. I was I kind of wish that they had held on that a little bit longer and made a big point. They made a little bit of a point in season one about Loyal's deep understanding of the way of the leaf and his general nonviolence. Mm -hmm. I wish that we had gotten a little bit more conversation about that to really contrast with a scene like this mm -hmm. uh, so that it, it makes it a big deal that he's cutting loose. Uh, speaking of background, though, I did enjoy the fact that the Perrin Loyal and the, and the Shinar and company didn't just get steamrolled by these mm -hmm. armored strangers in the night. Um, like if they had just been taken out of their beds or just been, been put down uh, simply and put into ropes as prisoners, I would have been very disappointed. Yeah. The fact that they, yeah, you know, they we had to have a good action scene. Well, we had to have a good action scene. I was just as I was wondering, I'm like, oh, so we're not going to get an action scene in this. But oh, there it is. There it is. <laughs> they showed that the Shinarans not only could hold their own, they handled these strange intruders. They mm -hmm. absolutely handled them with no problem. Why? Because and this is what the audience needs to understand. These guys are Shinarans. They're used to fighting Trollocs, you know, mm -hmm. twice as big as me and three times as strong. Exactly. And even one of my favorite guys in weird armor. No yeah. problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait, you're looking eye to eye with me. Psh, you better bring two others. Oh, you did. Oh, well, still no problem. <laughs> I've got my buddy with one eye next to me. You guys are hosed. Uh, I mean, even one of my favorite characters in the books, Captain General Gareth Bryn. Uh, he acknowledged mm -hmm. there is no finer heavy cavalry than the Shinarans. And it's just widely understood when it comes to fighting, these guys are some of the best in the entire world. And I thought they did a good job of showing that in this uh, small uh, or short but fun action scene until we get brought until until they come face to face with something I was not expecting to see just yet. Our first real look at the Sion Shan. And at the Damane and Suldame. Yeah, I'm, I'm missing the Idam, the way it's described in the books. I'm not entirely sure why they're going with Golden Pacifier instead of... <laughs> I didn't think that at first, <laughs> but, now but now I'm going to. <laughs> I just don't know how that's going to work later on when we've got a character who's going to need to talk. Damane, release your power. <laughs> Sorry, that just derailed me the for magic a moment. The ma <laughs> oh. Forged by the one power itself. <laughs> okay, so have we gone from production to conger talk? 
<laughs> yeah, I think I think we're deep deep into it now. All right. <laughs> I I think it it's a little weird for me to say this, but I kind of wish that Uno was even a little bit more foul mouthed. You know, I'm gonna go with you on that. And something that Matt said earlier, he dropped a very contemporary curse word. And it disappointed me. I missed that. It was when he was talking to... It has to be either Leandrin or Min. Those Leandrin. Are the people he gets to it talk was, to. It was when he was talking to Leandrin. And and I thought, you know, the Wheel of Time has an expansive and colorful collection of euphemisms that are unique to its world. We need to hear more blood Mother and ashes... Son of a spavined goat. Yeah, blood and ashes and buttered onions. <laughs> goat kissers. Exactly. Yes. I would have it's loved like, to have heard Uno, you know, as the Sianchon backed up. It's like, come at us, goat kissers. Yeah. It's almost like he's, do you remember the part in the books where Nynaeve tells him he can only curse every other sentence? They do, yes. <laughs> it seems like he's already adhering to that. And he hasn't even met her. Yeah. I, did he? He might have. He might have. I don't remember. <laughs> Maybe it was an off-camera scene, and that's why he's you know being a lot more polite. <laughs> right. Uh, I, I, I did find it funny that he was using a, a British colloquialism of, a, are you taking the piss out of me? Yeah. I'm like, is, or is that it? Or just different parts of, of Andor and Shinar are just, we're going to get different British accents. No, sorry, I don't want to follow the dark one. I can't. <laughs> Got to put the wheelie bin out. Well, that actually did sound a little bit like Matt. <laughs> um, speaking of Matt, well, you know what? He's actually in my in my good category. So anyway, but um, what the heck is Perrin doing holding a sword? I know that's been bothering me, too. No, I, I know like, he's been riding with Shinarans and they're mostly, you know, sword fellas. But still, that I don't think he ever even touched one in the books. No, I don't think so. He always had, he had the ax from master Luhan mm -hmm. from the very beginning, which since we skipped that, I've, I don't know why he didn't have the ax that he had from the first episode. You know, Hey, we're riding out, running away from Trollocs. I should have a bladed weapon of some kind. Mm -hmm. I, I imagine what's going to happen is Ingtar is going to die and he's going to pick up that ax that he's wearing on his back. That's less an axe and more of a halberd, but yeah. that's that, that, don't mind me. That is historical weapon nerd me, and yeah. So. Speaking of historical weapon nerds, uh, I think that the tall Shyanaran is Masima, and he's got that weird, like hooked blade. Yeah, is that something that you've seen before in the historical I record? Missed that. I'm gonna have to go back and check it out now. It's like it's almost a kopesh, but not quite circular enough. I'll get back to you on that. Hmm. Well, anyway, that's probably enough about Cheyenne Orans. Yeah. I wanted to talk about Elaine and her snooty attitude. Yeah. In the books, she was a lot more self-conscious about her rank, especially at first. Um, and I don't think I, I care as much for this. Oh, you're my subject thing yeah it's, and, and it's the fact, rubbing me the wrong way and the fact that she thought that she could bring her her bedroom suite into the tower <laughs> with her i'm like you right. you just said 
you spent several years here. You know it like the back of your hand. How do you not know what's going to be expected of you as uh, um, whatever they're called when they first come? A novice. As a novice. Thank you. Yeah. And what about Gawain and Galad? It's like, I know there wasn't like a whole time for introducing characters, but Mm -hmm. I would at least have liked to have seen them in the background practicing with the warders. I thought we did. I don't think so. Maybe I think we got a a glimpse of one of them because it was in a scene in the last episode um, when Egwene, I'm sorry, not Egwene, but uh, Nynaeve was training with them. Mm -hmm. I think we got a glimpse of a young red haired guy. Maybe that would have been before Elaine arrived, though. Yeah, but they're older than her, so one of them might have yeah, been they, gotten there early. Maybe I would. I would think that they would have all arrived at the same time. Gowan in particular, oh. because he's supposed to be her. Uh, if there's one thing this series has done, it's, sever- it's severely uh, subverted my expectations. That's true. <laughs> I don't even know if they've been cast, though. I haven't seen anything about it. Fair. It. I, I'm. I think it's okay how they introduced Elaine, but I was rather sad that we didn't get that uh, garden scene where Rand trying to get a look at Loghain falls into the yeah. garden of the castle and, and meets the princess and the prince. And it's like, Oh, bugger. And I, thought, yeah, and I realized that the reason that I missed that so much was because we also miss Egwene's uh, realizing that he was telling her the truth. When she mm-hmm. finally meets Elaine. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I, love, I like that so much. Oh, uh, speaking of Rand, though, he's obviously laying low because everyone except Moraine thinks that he is dead. Um, mm-hmm. I like that we get our first view of Karian. And while I liked the idea of Rand working in, I don't know if it's a mental hospital or if it's a facility for veterans of the war. I'm thinking more mental hospital. Yeah. I also thought it was kind of clever that he's learning some sword play from an old sword master. Right. I don't like that he isn't learning the sword from Lan. Mm-hmm. Because in my mind, that is an essential part of both their characters and is intrinsic to the bond that they share later in the series. Mm-hmm. And besides, Rand needs to be deadly, both with the power and the sword. And there's no one deadlier with the sword than Al Landman Dragoran. Yeah. They had to give him the training somehow. And having him pretend that he's dead kind of uh, disrupted <laughs> a lot of things that should have happened. Yeah. My big problem with the Kyrian scenes is why the heck is Logan there? Why isn't he in Tarvalin? Exactly. I mean, it doesn't matter if he's been saw, stilled or not. He was a, a false dragon. They, yeah, we already saw that he had an army willing to attack the Aes Sedai. Yeah. I don't think it seems like a great idea to dump him in a sanitarium in the most politically corrupt city in the world. Especially when there's exactly one person guarding the door. Right. <laughs> Didn't make any sense at all. Nope. And speaking of Rand, poor guy, they just need to let the guy's hair grow out. <laughs> the fact that it's been a buzz cut for this entire time is just bothering me. I did think it was funny, and this is in my good side. I like that the old soldier keeps thinking that Rand is an Aiel man. Mm-hmm. thought that was funny. Which, of course, he is. He so. is. 
He's <laughs> in a season or two. He's like, huh, the guy was right. <laughs> well, what do you know? All these people look like me. If only they'd let my hair grow out. <laughs> um, I do want to touch on Moraine for a moment. Mm-hmm. I don't like how she was portrayed in this episode. While she has never been a beacon of hope, she was of determination. Mm-hmm. No matter what situation they found themselves in, what the odds were, how many forsaken they realized were awake and loose in the world, it seemed like Moraine was could plan or was planning around it. Figuring, figuring out a way to deal with it, constantly trying to move forward and pushing, pulling, dragging everyone else along with her. This whole, woe is me, I must do this alone, can't take anyone else with me, we're all screwed because Ishmael is loose. I'm sorry, that's not her. Mm-hmm. And I know that the, 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 hand, the, never... the, the TV show is taking great liberties with what it is. Yeah. Moraine is such an essential character, and I believe that that determination is something that is intrinsic to her as well. And we need to see that. It doesn't matter if she has her powers or not. Yeah. We never saw Moraine stilled in the books. So we don't really have a, uh, a template to follow with in that regard, other than this is what happens to people who have been cut off. But I think she would be at least as determined and uh, forceful as Swan Sanche was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're not getting that. I, I do see what she's doing with Lan. She's trying to drive him off so that he'll run to Nynaeve. But I think it's too early in the, the narrative for that to really work. I completely agree. I completely agree. I think another reason they might be pushing toward that is because they made it a point to describe their shared history, mm-hmm. how they met, uh, what drew them to each other, why Moraine chose him as her warder, and so on. I hope we get the other half of that story at some point. Yeah. I mean, it's, it wouldn't have been appropriate at this point because she is playing the sad sack, and so putting a little ridicule on her wouldn't have been uh, the best thing, but uh, I hope we do get it at some point because the rest of the story is funny. I um, am going to admit something to you that you probably didn't know and you'll will shock you a little. I have actually never read New Spring. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Well, I recommend it. I think you'd enjoy it. I need to. I, re- I realize that I do. Um, uh, for our listeners, New Spring is a prequel book to the Wheel of Time series. Um, it's how Moraine and Land first meet and how she takes him as her warder. So, And the beginning of her quest to find the Dragon Reborn. Yes. So, that's enough Conger talk, I think, for now. I think so. More than enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. I'm not real wild about the, the Rand and Selene thing, but there is one thing that I really, really love. And that that's that the actress voices actress's voice sounds an awful lot like Claudia Black. I appreciate that. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> it is a very nice voice. Um, I like the direction that they have taken it. Um, I'm not really wild at that, that their their um, relationship is already physical right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I know he's portrayed as a man of age, you know, at least of like, you know, 20, 21 years old. Um, but still, it's not so much that she's older than him. It's that she's <laughs> really older than him. <laughs> yeah. After the first four or 500 years, you stop counting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but. I mean, we thought Buffy and Angel was bad. <laughs> and see how that turned out. <laughs> right. Uh, I continue to enjoy Adelius. She clearly needs some male company, but uh, her flirtation and her prurient interest in uh, Lan and Moraine's relationship is just <laughs> no end of amusing to me. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I like the relationship between her and her warders. And uh, anytime that we meet a green sister, besides the clothes that they wear, which is pointed out, I'm like, wow, they pick a color and they really stick with it, don't they? <laughs> yeah, I'm glad they hung a lamp shade on that. <laughs> I mean, we know she's a green sister just by everything she's wearing, but you get at the fact that uh, they made a point that green sisters are especially close to their warders. And not just in the physical sense, but also you see warders advising them, uh, comforting mm -hmm. them, and giving counsel. <laughs> right. And Shirion's like, this conversation is for sisters. And Alana just ignores her. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about Matt for a second. New Matt. We finally get a really good look at him and uh, his, his personality. Uh, mm -hmm. Much more than we did in the very brief short, scene in the first episode. Yes, that short moment. Uh, he had a lot to live up to because I did like season one, Matt. Season two, Matt, though, he's got more of a sarcastic, roguish streak about him. Yeah, I'm liking him. So am I. I. Am liking him. His whole interaction over the sweet buns, and then as he's mockingly making the hand gestures of each lock <laughs> as it's being put into place on the door and then the footsteps is <laughs> walking away. I'm like, okay, I like this guy. Yeah. He's, he's definitely got some, some physical comedy going for him. Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting with, uh, pairing him and men. Yeah. Because in the books, men was obviously associated with, uh, uh, the novices. It'll be interesting to see exactly how that goes, because I don't imagine that she's going to be sticking around in Tarvalon no. uh, after being in the dungeon. So, and she certainly isn't going to trust Leandrin enough to go to Toman Head with her. Nope. So that's definitely going to be different. I don't. I wonder how they're going to get her and Matt there, find, assuming that they go there. Maybe they won't. I find it interesting uh, how much of a spotlight is being put on Leandrin. Um. Mm. It's like that we need a a, a sinister female character, or Aes Sedai. Um, yeah, and... she's she's a, a foil to Moraine. Mm -hmm. And since we don't have the Forsaken having such a a strong presence in the show, at least not yet, they need somebody to be antagonistic. Yeah, I think she's she's filling that role quite well. Agreed, agreed. Still really questioning everyone's wisdom about. Uh, letting her train Nynaeve. Mm. I've killed children. <laughs> Let me. Uh, nothing will happen if I train this one. Yes, I'm making her sound like the Wicked Witch of the West on purpose. Um, oh, slightly older people. That's okay. That's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Oh, she'll be accepted. Loophole. No one will care about that. 
Uh, okay, we're done with Conger talk. But anyway, um, <laughs> well past that. Was there anything else that you uh, that really uh, nice changes that you enjoyed in this episode? I think Leandrin's son. It shocked the heck out of me. I, that was not something I was expecting. I did actually like that too. I th- when yeah. we saw the older gentleman, I thought, okay, maybe this was a former lover from fifty years ago. And then when she says, my sweet boy, and the way that she makes over him as only a mother would, and as protective of him as she was, I'm like, okay, that was, that twist was well done. Yeah. And I think it's going to just really, really raise the bar on how evil she goes. Yep. So at this point, I would say, let's move on to future casting, but I'm going to be honest Every time I've said anything about this, the show has ripped it to shreds. <laughs> I really don't know what I can say at this point. Um, one thing I did find interesting was that Elaine name dropped Cad Swain. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'm like, well, if she's getting name dropped now, that means we're going to be seeing her soon. Looking forward to that. She's an awesome character. Yes. Um, and I was uncertain if we were ever going to see Rand's hands branded. Wow, that was a rhyme. <laughs> <laughs> but Varen talked about that in a prophecy. So I was like, oh, okay, well, then the, the branding is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rand's activities in Kyrian are puzzling. I don't know how he's going to get to Toman Head, but he obviously has to. He's not chasing the horn. I think that... He is, I, I, once I laid eyes on Loghain, I understood mm-hmm. what he was doing. Yeah. And well, he, I understand his motives for being there. Mm-hmm. I don't understand what the showrunners are doing with that whole thing. It's like, okay, well, he's getting a, a channeling teacher, fine. But he still has to get to Toman Head eventually. <laughs> and I think that they are going to be taking an element from the books to hasten him on his journey. Do you remember the traveling stones mm-hmm. that they used to, well, first they sent Rand into a uh, alternate dimension and then it sent him back to his world, but it also allowed them to cross great distances at speed. Right. I think we're going to see those. And I think Loghain is going to be the one to kind of give him an idea about channeling, but it's going to be Selene who helps him pour into that to, mm-hmm. to to guide him into using them. She'll be around while he uses them. And I think that that is how he will get to Toman head, but I could be wrong. I've been wrong so yeah. many times. <laughs> uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they just lean on the ways again, since they've already established that. Mm-hmm. Um, although since he doesn't have loyal with him, I don't know that might not work. Yeah. I don't know what they're going to do, but it's very clear because it was in the, the, the prophecies that Varen was talking about. It's like, okay, well we foreshadowed it. He's got to get there. So he's don't have any idea how, why or how it's going to happen. He's going to find some giant stone doors. He's going to speak the, um, Aiel word for friend that they will open. <laughs> it's a four day journey to the other side. But after, you know, after fighting uh, a weird, fiery Trolloc and uh, 
meeting a guy in a gray hat, he will come out on the other side and boom, there's Toman Head. Oh, okay. Well, solved then. So that that is your prediction. Easy peasy. I'm fully at this point, I don't even care if I'm wrong. <laughs> Honestly, I've been looking at all of the constant changes from the books. And at one point when I was younger, I will admit these would have all bothered the heck out of me. And I would have gotten upset every five minutes. Mm-hmm. But I'm appreciating how they're handling the story and the characters for the most part. They're yeah. being they're being fair with them. And you can tell the effort was made for the most part, writing wise. And I'm enjoying the changes and how this is evolving on its own. Yeah. And after having these conversations and and treating it as a thing that it is rather than the thing that I wanted to be, maybe I will go back and watch the rings of Doogie Hauser and give it another chance. <laughs> That's not a dig. On a specific character, is it? Uh, surely not. <laughs> I took one look at him and I thought, okay, when he's not forging the greatest weapons and arts of the world, does he sell used cars? <laughs> he has been known to say, suit up. Yeah. All right. Are we done with this thing? I think that we are. My friends... You came in peace, depart now in peace. Always will our fires welcome you. The way of the leaf is peace.